The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. How many of you have ever had the thought before, if I only had more? Maybe you've had the thought, if I only had more money, right? If I only had a little bit more money, man, I wouldn't have so many problems. (laughs) Maybe you've had the thought, if I only had more time, if I only had more time, then I could do everything that I know I need to do, and I could do everything that I want to do, and I wouldn't feel uh, so crazy, and my schedule wouldn't feel so hectic if I only had more time. Maybe you've had the thought, if I only had more things, if I only had more toys, if I only had more clothes, if I only had more you fill in the blank, then I would be satisfied, then I would be content if I could just have more. If you have little kids in your home, I know you've thought this one. How many of you have thought, if I only had more energy, right? I am amazed at the amount of energy these tiny little humans can produce. Literally last night, one of my children, it's 9 o'clock at night, he's been in bed for an hour and a half, is jumping up and down on his bed thinking, there are no cats in America. And I'm like, child, go to sleep. (laughs) If I only had more energy, then I could keep up. Maybe you've had the thought... If I only had more love, if I only had more affirmation, if I only had more acceptance, all of us at some point or another, we've had the thought, if I only had more. And the difficulty is we often use our perceived need, the thing we think we need more of, we use that to keep us from doing what we know God would have us to do now. So we say things like, or we think things like, if I was loved more, then I could love more. If I was more accepted, then I could be more accepting. We think things like, man, I know God wants me to serve in this specific area, but I just need more growth. I just need more time. We look at God's word and we know we're supposed to share our faith. We know we're supposed to disciple people, but we often think, I just need to learn more before I can do that. And so what happens is our perceived need for more causes us to keep us from doing what we know God would have us to do. We think, I need more. But as we're going to see the theme emerge from our text this morning, God has already given us everything we need to live a life that's fully pleasing to him. Turning your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, we're currently in a summer mini-series of messages entitled Life Verses. I think we got Surrey in the building this morning. That's exciting. <laughs> we're currently in a series of messages entitled Life Verses, and each person on the preaching team, uh, we have the opportunity to share passages of Scripture that God's been using in our heart, and I have to be honest with you, uh, this one's been working in my heart for a while. This has literally been the lock screen on my phone since, I think, probably the month of May. So I am I'm really excited to uh, speak this morning. Uh, If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we uh, get ready to read God's Word. If you're a guest here this morning, man, thanks so much for coming to worship with us this morning. On your way in, you should have received the brown and white welcome guide. On the back page there, there is a connection card that you can fill out, and you'll want to drop that off at the gray welcome tent on the way out this morning. If you didn't get one of those, there's also one on the inside flap of your service program guide. You can use that. There's also an outline in there as we study God's message this morning. 2 Peter chapter number 1, beginning of verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse 15. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's one of the themes that keeps emerging, one of the recurring patterns, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Here it is again, through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of the evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort. That's another uh, phrase that pops up several times in this passage. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, not you've arrived, but you're growing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, here it is again, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Verse 12, we get to see Peter's heart as a pastor here. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have, I think it is right that as long as I am in this bodily tent, as long as I'm in alive, Peter's saying, to wake you up with a reminder. Put that in modern language, that's a gospel slap, all right? to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also, here it is again, make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Let's pray, then we'll jump into our study this morning. Lord, we're gathered here this morning. Uh, We come together to worship you as the church because you truly are worthy of all blessing and honor and glory, and we are so overwhelmed that your love just goes on and on and on, and time would not allow us for us to sing the praises that you rightfully deserve. And as we consider your worth and your glory, Lord, we echo what the psalmist said, what is man that you are mindful of him? But Lord, you are mindful of us. You have considered us. You love us. You have chased us. You've saved us from our sin and made us new, made us partakers of your divine nature. And Lord, as we just read your word, we have to be honest and confess that we fall so short. In our own strength, what we just read is impossible. So Lord, we thank you for your never-ending grace and your never-ending mercy that constantly meets us in our need. And I pray this morning that your spirit would use your word to change our hearts to look more like you. Remind us of your power and your faithful love that never ends. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So the theme we saw emerged from our text is God has given us everything we need to live a life fully pleasing to him. But if you're like me, when you hear statements like that, you instantly get a little bit skeptical, right? It almost sounds like it's too good to be true. God's given us everything that's required to live a life in godliness. So what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to unpack how this actually works and why the Apostle Peter could make 
almost a crazy statement that God has given us everything we need. First of all, I want us to notice the power for godliness. The power for godliness. If we're going to persevere in godliness for our entire life, how is this possible? Well, look at verse number three. He says it's his divine power that has given us everything required for life and godliness. I want you to think with me for a moment about God's divine power. Think about the power that was on display as God, with a breath, spoke the universe into existence, flung the stars in the sky. Think about the power that was on display as God, with a word, created the universe that we live in. Think about the divine power that was on display as Moses stands on the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army and all the might of Egypt is chasing after them, wanting nothing more than to annihilate them. As Moses stands on the edge of that Red Sea, holds out his staff, and then the power of God splits the Red Sea wide open. And then all night long, this great and mighty rushing wind dries out that ground so that they can walk through on dry ground and be safe from their enemies. The power of God on display. Think about the power of God that was on display as Elijah has probably one of the most epic showdowns in all of the Bible. He's having this showdown with hundreds of pagan prophets. And as these pagan prophets do all their pagan ceremonies, they hear nothing from their God. And then Elijah stands up with the power of God on him, says a simple prayer. And in that moment, God sends fire down from heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice, and once and for all settles that God is God and God is powerful above all. Think about the miracles that Jesus did while he was on this earth. Think about over and over how he healed the sick, made lame men to walk, forgave people of sin, fed thousands of people, raised Lazarus from the dead. And to top that off, he raises himself from the dead. Think about his own resurrection, the power of God on display. We might say it's one thing to raise Lazarus, but to raise yourself from the dead. This is the power of God on display for us to see. Think about how you've seen his power in your life. Go back in your mind's eye to the moment of your salvation. When the power of God first came into your life and he miraculously transformed you from an eternal destiny of death to an eternal destiny of life. How in that moment he completely justified and forgave you of all your sins. In that moment you were a partaker of his divine nature. In that moment you had the spirit of God resting on you. The power of God in your life and the miracle of a moment. Think about all the times you've seen his power as you have experienced answers to prayer. Those moments when you got down on your knees and you begged God, God, I need you to work. God, I need you to come through. And he does. And you experience his power on your behalf. Consider the power of God that has brought something as amazing and wonderful and tasty into this world as tacos. I mean, come on, church. Behold, the power of God has given us tacos, right? I mean, seriously, though, this power that Peter is talking about is not some man-made power. This isn't a power that lasts for a moment. This isn't a power that runs on diesel or electricity or solar these days. No, this is God's divine power. And because this is God's divine power made available to us, Peter could make this crazy claim that you have everything that you need to persevere an entire lifetime in godliness. 
This power doesn't just give us moments of godliness or spurts of God-honoring activity. This power enables us to live our entire lives in a way that brings God honor and glory. God didn't just leave us to figure this thing out on our own, saying, okay, here's the standards, here's what it looks like, now try to do it in your own strength. No, the Bible tells us that our own strength will fail. The arm of man will fail, the Bible tells us. So God, in his infinite love and in his infinite grace and his infinite mercy, makes available to us his divine power. The power that throughout the Bible we see literally shakes the foundation of the world. God has made that power available to us. No longer are we without anything that we need to honor him. Now, sure, we got a lot of wants, right? Like we have our Amazon wish list over here. If you're like me, there's multiple wish lists all neatly categorized. I mean, my wish lists have wish lists, okay? We got wants. But what Peter's talking about, living a life of godliness, living a life that brings glory to his name, what that should do, that should overwhelm every other want and every other desire I have in my life. When I consider the goodness and the mercy and the steadfast love that God lavishly pours on me, when I consider his might, his power, his grandeur, when I consider all who God is, and I let that truth be the most real and loud thing in my life, every other want, every other desire just kind of fades into the background. And the only thing we want is to honor God and to glorify God and to live a life that's fully pleasing to him. And God says, I have given you everything you need to do that. This is why Peter tells us to utilize what we have been given through a growing knowledge of him. We saw that appear time and time again. How do we experience God's power? It's through knowing God, knowing Jesus, spending time in his presence, enjoying his love, reminding yourself of his promises. And verse number two tells us that as we grow in our knowledge of God, this grace and this peace are multiplied in our lives. Think about a little snowball, how it starts up on top of the hill, and as it rolls down, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the picture here. Grace and peace, as you grow in your knowledge of God, it just grows in your life, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and this amazing grace and this amazing peace multiplies in your life. It's right there, all for the taking. The problem is, if you're like me, I often just don't go get it. I don't always experience more and more of it, and this overwhelming amount of God's grace and peace, because... I'm not growing in my knowledge of him. We often don't open up the word with a heart to know God more. It can very easily fall into an academic pursuit or no pursuit at all, and we don't open it up with this heart that says, God, I just want to know you more. We don't spend time in prayer just wanting to draw close to the presence of God so that we can experience the love of the Father, so that we can cast our cares on him, so that we can commune with him. We don't always prioritize the body of Christ, and then we wonder why we aren't experiencing this kind of crazy, lavish grace upon grace upon grace, peace upon peace upon peace. One pastor said the Christian faith is not merely a set of doctrines to be accepted, it is a power to be experienced. And this power leads to godliness and eternal life. Where knowledge of the glory and excellence of God languishes, grace does not flow. The channel from God's infinite reservoir of grace is a growing knowledge of God doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we have to arrive. In fact, that will never happen. What it means, though, is I'm growing, and there's a desire to grow and a desire to know God more, and as I grow in that desire, as I study Scripture with the heart to know God, as I draw close to Him in prayer, as I prioritize being with the body of Christ, as I grow in my knowledge and experience of Him, what happens? The amount of grace that comes into my life and the amount of peace that comes into my life is multiplied, and it grows. 
We get to experience his great and precious promises that enable us to live godly. The, this power enables us to share in God's divine nature. Think about that for a moment. You get to be our partaker of God's divine nature. At the moment we got saved, we were made able to have the same views, the same feelings, the same thoughts, the same purposes and motives for actions as God. Because you are now saved and you are a partaker of the divine nature, you can think, feel, love, and act like God does. You can grow in your knowledge of him, and as you grow in your knowledge of him, the resemblance between you and Jesus grows closer and closer and closer. Why? Because that divine nature is becoming more and more real in your life. Knowing God is the means by which his grace and peace become large and powerful in our lives. This is the power of God at work in you. If you are here today and you are a believer, this is your new reality. The power of God, his divine nature is now in you. So if you came in here this morning and you're just trying to check it off your list and you can't wait till I shut up and get done, it doesn't matter. You are part of God's divine nature. His nature is in you. And if you came in here this morning and you were jazzed up and ready to go, God's divine nature is in you. For those of us that are in Christ, this is our new reality. The power of God is on me. His great and precious promises are available to me. You see, for the Christian, when it comes to living a godly life, I need is no longer my reality. Because God has already given me everything I need. Because of the grace and power of God, I'm empowered to live a godly life. And the flip side of that is, because of the grace and power of God, I also no longer have any excuses for not living a godly life. The truth is, I am now free to boldly step out in courageous obedience. God, I can obey you. God, I am free to obey you, even when it's scary, even when it's big, and even when it's overwhelming. I am free to step out in courageous obedience. I am also free to step out in monotonous obedience. Let's face it, most of our lives is in these big, courageous decisions. That's like maybe 1% of it. Most of it's just the, the weekend, the week out, the mundane, the little decisions. And because of the grace and power of God, I am free to glorify him and live a life that honors him in the mundane moments. As a dad, I am free to love my children and the oftentimes many over and over again moments where they need to be corrected and they need to be disciplined and their hearts need to be shaped. I have this little script I say to myself when I have to engage one of my children in discipline. It's literally, God, I know you're with me right here in this moment. And God, because you're with me, your grace is with me and your power is with me and your mercy is with me and your long-suffering is with me. Lord, would I be a conduit of that grace and mercy and power and long-suffering towards my child? And so now, every engagement that's with my child can be a picture of the gospel. Husbands, you can love your wife even when she is difficult to love because you have the grace and the power and the mercy and the long suffering of God available to you. That's your new reality. That's the new you. And because that is you, you are free to love your spouse. You say, Pastor Nick, but she nags me. Okay, let me help you. You have the grace and power of God to do the thing she's nagging you about. And guys, when you do it, she kind of stops nagging you. Okay, a little tip there. But seriously, you have the power of God to love your wife when she is difficult to love. Ladies, I know there are moments when you cannot understand how your husband convinced you to marry him. <laughs> You're like, this is the con of the century. They're going to make Netflix documentaries about this. I get it. <laughs> Ladies, you are free to love him because you have all the love you need from Jesus. You have all the acceptance you need from Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man, so you no longer have to expect your husband to be. You are free to love him. There's many of us. There's somebody in our life right now, 
And we know we need to go share Jesus with them. But we're scared. What will they think? What if they reject me? What if this ruins their relationship? Church, you are free to share the gospel. You are free to unconditionally just love people. Love people that are unlovable. You can love people who voted differently than you did. You can love people who look different than you. You can vote people, or love, <laughs> vote people. You can love people who think differently than you do. You are free. Why? Because you have the power of God in your life. You say, Pastor Nick, I can't. That is a lie. You can because you have God's power. You have his love. And the more you grow in your knowledge of him, the more that's going to be real to you. The more you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, the more real that love and the more real that power is going to be to you to where it just overflows. And your life begins to look like Jesus. Because of the power of God, I'm now free to say no to sin. I am now free to say yes to righteousness. Church, you have the power of God at your disposal. You have the promises of God working on your behalf. And you have the presence of God, his divine nature coursing through your veins. Because of the power and promises of God, you have everything you need to persevere in a life of godliness. This is the power of God at work in you. This is how God is working in you right now, church your new reality, God working in you to make you like Jesus. So we've seen the power of godliness. Now I want us to notice, secondly, the workings of godliness. Let's read verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, now those four little words are so vitally important. You take out those words and everything we're going to talk about can quickly be done in our own strength. It can turn into legalism. It can lead to burnout. Those four words what we're about to talk about hinges on those four words. For this very reason. You see, we're about to read a command from God, something he tells us to do. No fine print, no excuses. He's telling us, do this. But that is within the context of God's divine power, God's promises, God's presence. Verses three and four are not a command. They're a description of what God is currently doing in you. And so because this is what God is currently doing in you, Peter's like, ride the wave, man. Ride the wave of what God is doing in your life. So let's start, verse number five. For this very reason, make every effort. Because God is working in you, let's work at this thing. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now, what does this look like? Let's unpack this list that Peter just gives us. This is sometimes called the ladder of faith. These are the fruits of sharing in the divine nature. Each successive quality seems to spring from the previous one. So as we grow, what is goodness? Goodness is just moral goodness, virtue, any excellence of person. Sometimes people will define this as courage. This is just goodness. From that goodness grows knowledge. This is the knowledge of God. This is what's offered in the gospel. From knowledge grows self-control. This is mastering our desires and passions, saying no to what we say, say no to, saying yes what we should say yes to. Because that we're growing in self-control, we can grow in endurance. We don't have to quit now because we're growing at this thing. Because we have Jesus and his power, we don't have to quit. We can endure. And as we endure, we grow in our godliness. This is just a reverence or respect towards God in our hearts and in our actions. You could say it, it's holiness. As we grow in godliness, we grow in brotherly affection. 
Brotherly affection is just, it's kindness. Brotherly kindness sometimes it's said as. This is the idea that you're just, you're just kind to one another like siblings are supposed to be. Last week I was at a conference and my wife sent me this picture. It's of our two boys and uh, they're watching something on the computer late at night and Nicholas just put his arm around Michael. It's this really sweet moment. As a dad, that like fills my heart with so much pride. That's brotherly affection, brotherly kindness. Now, this is not the norm, okay? <laughs> a couple uh, days ago, my wife was out running errands. I had all the kids. They were all playing so nice. The baby's upstairs taking a nap. The other three, they're just playing. I go to use the restroom, and I'm in there for like 15 seconds, right? And all of a sudden, I hear screaming. One of my children comes barging in the bathroom. There's blood coming down his face. Brother, help me with a toy! That is not brotherly affection. This is brotherly affection. This is something that is supposed to grow in our lives as a result of faith. Remember, faith is the foundation to all this. Supplement your faith. This is all grows from faith in God. And then it culminates in love. Sacrificial love or benevolence. The Greek word here is agape. This is loving without any expectation of return. It starts with faith and it ends with love. It starts with faith and it ends up looking a lot like Jesus. And here's the truth. No matter where we are at in our Christian journey, we never stop working at this. Peter doesn't say make every effort unless you've been saved for 10 years. He doesn't say, hey, if you're brand new at this, make every effort. No, in fact, in verse 15, he's like, I know you're established in this. I know you know this, but let me remind you anyway. Make every effort so we never stop growing because we have the power of God working in us. We never stop growing at this thing. We never stop making every effort so that we could look more and more like Jesus. We make every effort so that we can continue to grow in grace. We do not stop pursuing growth in grace. We go on. You almost get the sense here that Peter's just, he's spurring these people on. He said, onward, forward, keep at it. Keep making every effort. Keep growing and growing and growing. Don't stop. Don't think you've arrived. Church, we don't accidentally grow into godliness. You can't just kind of drift your way into looking like Jesus. I uh, read a story that was by uh, an author, many of you would be familiar with him, author Michael Hyatt. He tells a story about how he and his wife Gail on one of their wedding anniversaries went to Maui. And while there, they took snorkeling lessons. He said they started in a swimming pool, progressed to the coral reef, coral reef uh, that was next to the hotel, and he said they absolutely loved it. They said it was like swimming in a giant aquarium. Those of you that have gone snorkeling before, you would relate to that. Uh, just said it was such a cool thing. They enjoyed it so much, he said, that later that day, they rented some snorkeling gear, and they were determined to venture out on their own. So they went down to the beach, so there wasn't a soul around. This perfect, pristine scene. The beach was perfect. The water was tranquil. Everything was stunning. He said they couldn't wait to get in the water. So they suited up, paddled out to the lagoon, and face down in the water, he said they were mesmerized by all the aquatic life that was just teeming all around them. The plants gently swaying under the water, the colored fish swimming everywhere, the coral reef itself, he said, was alive with activity. He said it truly was a wow experience. And then he said at some point, he decided to look up and lift his head out of the water, and when he did, he gasped. At some point, they had got caught in a drift tide without realizing it, and they had drifted more than a mile out to sea. He said the shoreline seemed impossibly far away. The, their hotels looked like tiny little toys off in the distance. Fortunately, they had a boogie board, and they, him and his wife both grabbed onto it and literally paddled for their life for the next hour until they got back completely exhausted. He went on to say, we realized just how close we had come to disaster. That was not the outcome that we had intended when we innocently slipped into the water this morning. The point is this, church. When we're not intentional, when we don't make every effort, we drift. 
And sometimes we don't even notice. We drift. We stop making every effort to know Jesus. We stop making every effort to grow in his grace, and we drift. And there's a moment when we look up and we think, how did my life get here? What, what happened? And what happens when we drift, church? We don't enjoy his peace. We don't enjoy his grace. We're not experiencing his power. Instead of self-control, we find that we're often losing control. Instead of enduring, we find ourselves often quitting. Instead of this brotherly love and affection, there's just this critical, snarky, underlying cynicalness that begins to set root in our life. And what happens, the more and more we drift, the less and less we experience Jesus. All of us have had this happen to us at some point in our lives. We begin to wonder, is this all real? I mean, if the Holy Spirit was really in me, would my life look like this right now? All of us have had moments where we looked up from the water of our life and thought, what happened? And what happens is, as we drift, the devil gets up on our ear, and then he, he takes advantage, right? He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. And he says, if you were really a Christian, would this be happening in your life right now? If the Holy Spirit was really, if God was really that powerful, if God really meant it when he said you have everything to, need to live a life in godliness, would you be way over here in left field? And we begin to doubt if it's real, and we begin to even doubt our own salvation. This is why he says in verse number uh, 8, I believe it is. Excuse me, verse number 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Why is he telling us to make every effort to confirm our calling and election? Because what happens is when we drift, we begin to doubt our calling and election. And friends, there's no doubt about it. We sang about it this morning. Does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. There's no doubt about our eternal security. There's no doubt about our eternal salvation. God knows who are his, and he promises, you can't pluck, you out of my, you can't pluck anybody out of my Father's hand. You're there. You're good. You're eternally secure. There's no doubt in God's mind. But what happens is when we drift, doubt creeps into our mind. And guys, God loves us way too much to let us stay there. God's, this is why Peter's saying, make every effort, work at this thing so you can confirm your calling and election, so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that you are his, so that you can experience abundant life. God loves you so much, he wants what's best for you. That's why he gives us this warning that says, make every effort. Don't drift, church. Don't drift. This is why the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, but you, man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul wasn't telling Timothy to fight because the Christian life's a tea party. This is a battle. And so he says, fight. It's a battle because your flesh fights against this. Your flesh says, no, I need more. Your flesh says, you can't do it. But God in his love and in his power says, you can because you have my power. And so Paul tells Timothy, fight to believe. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight to believe so that you don't drift away from Jesus. I love what Spurgeon said on this passage. It's, parts of it are almost comical. He says, since it's God who by his divine nature has made you, by his divine energy has made you partakers of, of the divine nature, 
See that you use your grace-given energy. God has given us his power, and Spurgeon, this preacher from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, is encouraging us, use the power you got. See to it that you use your grace-given energy. Rest not idly upon your oars. He says, grace saves no man to make him a log of wood (laughs) or a block of stone. Grace makes man active. Grace has been, or God has been diligently at work with you. Now you must diligently work together with him. That's why Paul told Timothy, rather, train yourself in godliness. This is work. We labor for virtue because God is already laboring for us. And yes, what Paul says here in these verses can be strong, or what Peter says in these verses is, can be strong. Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, you got to love Peter. He's just telling it like it is. You don't want to be useless? Keep growing. But what happens is, is when we drift, what do we think? This is all a waste of time. There's no point to this. And Peter's encouraging us and he's challenging us, make every effort to continue growing and experiencing the knowledge and love and power of Jesus so that you don't get there. Verse number nine, he says, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. The cultivation of godly virtues comes as we remember the gospel cleansing of our sins. The gospel is not something that we move past. It's something that we remember and enjoy our whole lives long. It is grace that changes us from the inside out. Verse 10, here's another, make every effort. Therefore, brothers and sisters, because we're going in the knowledge of God and because God is at work in us, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. God wants us to know that we are his. He wants us to have joyful assurance that we are his children. So Peter tells us, confirm, make sure. The word of God is warning us against being lazy in our faith and drifting away from Jesus. He's encouraging us to fight the good fight of faith. Pursue Jesus. Make him press on towards the goal. And in this way, reassure your hearts and make your confidence firm that you are indeed his. You see, what happens is when we forget the gospel, we forget our salvation, we don't grow. And then when we're way over here and we've drifted away, the joy that we experience at our salvation seems like a distant memory, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. That's what what he means when we, we forget. We forget all that God has done for us. Now, I know this is heavy, so there's a few things I want to kind of remind us of as we're working through this. First of all, this is something that God is already working at in your hearts and in your life. We don't need to leave here and carry the weight of this in the sense like this all depends on me. This is what God is doing. The reason when we drift we feel at such angst is because what we're doing is we're actually fighting against what God's doing in our hearts. God is constantly pulling you to be more and more like Jesus, but when we drift and we don't work with him, we're actually working against him. That's why there's no peace. That's why there's no sense of security. That's why there's this angst. It's because we're, we're drifting. We're actually fighting against what God's trying to do. So the thing I want to remind us of is this is what God is already doing with you. Just surrender to his grace. Surrender to his love and his power. And say, God, I am with you. Let's do this thing. Philippians 1.6, I am sure that he who has started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
God is the one that is doing this. This is God's divine power. We don't have to carry the weight of, man, how is this all going to work? God's telling us how it's going to work. Grow in your knowledge of him. And here's the second thing I want to remind us of. If you feel like you're in a season where you have drifted, I mean, you resonate with verses 8 and 9, right? You're like, yeah, the, 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 the memory of my salvation, that joy, it seems like, I, I can't even remember what that feels like. Where you feel like this is pointless. Where you're starting to even wonder if it's real. If you're there and you've drifted to that state, there is still hope for you. Hear this. As long as God has you on this earth, he is not done with you. And it doesn't matter how far away from him you drift. His reach is longer. His love is longer. His power is stronger. You cannot drift so far away that God's like, I will not take you back. You cannot drift out of this. God will complete it. We just read that verse. God has got you. And so if you're in a season where you've drifted and you feel like, man, there is no grace, there is no peace, don't lose hope. Call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, bring me back. He will. I mean, think about the prodigal son. Here you have this guy who tells his dad, you're basically dead to me. Give me half of everything that you owe me. Goes out and wastes it, wastes his life, drifts so far away, he's literally eating with the pigs. Comes to his senses, goes back to his father, and before he can even get his confession out, the father starts celebrating him and loving him and saying, this was my son. He's dead and now he's alive again. He has returned. Kill the fatty calf. Put the robe on him. Throw a party for him. Friends, God is waiting for you to come back and he wants to throw you a party. You can't outdrift God. You cannot outsend God's love. You cannot outsend God's mercy. So if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Nick, that's me. I've drifted. Hey, good news. God has still got you. God loves you. You can experience his grace and peace being multiplied to you as you come back to him. And watch as that grace and peace starts multiplying in your life. I mean, we could go around this room. There's story after story after story after story about people who have drifted, and then they came back, and the amazing things that God has done in their lives. Why? Because God's love is greater. You cannot out God. So if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Nick, this is an encouraging message. I'm, I'm the guy way out there in left field right now. There's still hope. As long as you are alive, God is not done with you, and he still has a plan for your life. You can start surrendering to his grace today. You can start making every effort to grow today. You might feel like you're in a season that's useless or unfruitful, but friend, there is hope you can experience that grace and peace multiplied in your life today. Seek Jesus. Grow in knowing Jesus. Make it your aim, your goal, your one purpose in life to know him and the power of his resurrection. Say from today forward, I'm going to start making every effort to know Jesus and to become more like Jesus in the strength and power that God has given me. Church, let's make this our drive. Let's make this our mission to know Jesus, to become more and more and more like Jesus. Let's commit to making every effort to knowing him and becoming more like him. And to get this, Peter, the last verse we're going to look at this morning, he kind of ends this thought with verse number 11. He says, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So you're experiencing in this life grace and peace multiplied and multiplied. You're experiencing God's power. You're becoming more like Jesus. You're growing and trusting his promises. Your life is starting to more look like the life of Jesus if he was in your shoes. And get this, Paul says there's going to come a moment. Or Peter says there's going to come a moment. You've persevered a life in godliness. You're going to cross the river of death and you're going to pass into eternity. And Peter says there's a party waiting for you in heaven. 
your entrance is going to be joyful. It's going to be amazing. The picture here is as we walk up into heaven, the gates are thrown wide open. Imagine this victorious army returning from the battlefield, receiving a standing ovation from our citizens. We're that army. We're fighting right now. And when we get home to our home country, the citizens of heaven are going to be waiting and celebrating our arrival. Think about the joy of seeing Jesus crowned King of Kings. All the joy, all the work, all the effort, all comes to a head when we see Jesus crowned as Lord of all. And we cast our crowns at his feet. Think about the joy Well done, thou good and faithful servant, as all of heaven celebrates your arrival. As we dedicate our lives to knowing God and becoming more like Jesus, we have this amazing promise waiting for us in heaven. They're literally going to throw a party for your arrival. So here's our takeaway, church. Work for godliness because God is working for godliness in you. Work for godliness. Make every effort. Why? Because God is working for godliness in you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.